0: The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Turning your Bibles to John 19. And if you don't have a Bible, we should have Bibles on the back table. Feel free to grab one of those. Feel free to keep one of those if you don't have a Bible. Uh, John 19, we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 42. And really focusing on on two characters in those verses. John tends to give us details that emphasize a contrast. Darkness and light, uh, death and life. Those who say they believe uh, contrasted with those who show that they believe. The two characters in our text come to a, a point where they step out of the dark and into the light, out of secret belief, and into a demonstration of belief, that must have cost them everything, so the obvious application is to ask, what about us, the times are changing, being a Christian in America is becoming more and more difficult, but difficult Was really good for these Bible characters because it called them to actually step out of their secrecy and into a life of faith. Consider Isabella Chow. Put yourself in her shoes. Let me share her story from an article in World Magazine, uh, all the way back in the much kinder, gentler, more tolerant day of 2018. When Isabella Chow, a student senator at the University of California, Berkeley, uh, decided to abstain, not oppose, but abstain from a pro-LGBTQ vote and to instead explain her Christian views, she knew she'd have to weather a storm. She just didn't expect that storm to involve a torrent of F-bombs and demands for her resignation. She knew what she believed from a biblical perspective, but wondered how to apply that truth in a a complex intersection of faith and politics. So Chow sought the advice of several Christian campus leaders, pastors, asking for their thoughts, um, reviewing the the resolution that that, uh, was before her. Eventually, after Uh, Hearing various opinions, she decided to abstain from the vote. The Sunday before the October 31 vote, she told her political party, Student Action, that she she couldn't endorse the resolution. And as an aside, this resolution voiced opposition to our government wanting to clarify Title IX. Clarify Title IX, defining men and women biologically. According to biology. so And if you're not familiar with Title IX, to remind you, Title IX is the law that affects mostly uh, collegiate women's sports. Giving them all sorts of opportunities. It, uh, requiring an equal opportunity for scholarships, for, for uh, an offering of events. And today we're seeing the result of the lack of this clarity. As sadly women are losing these opportunities, having to compete against biological males who identify as women. Back to the article. So over the next few days, Chow said the conversation went to, you either fully support this vote or you're out. She decided to stick to her convictions. On the night before the October 31 Senate meeting, uh, student action voted to oust her from the party. It sent her a copy of a press release the group planned to publish. And on that draft, the party members wrote that Chow opposed, quote, reproductive health and wellness resources, legal protections for survivors of sexual violence, and community space for vulnerable members of our student body, a claim that Chow described as being completely false. Alarmed that her views might be misrepresented, she prepared a five-paragraph statement explaining why she chose to abstain. And the next evening at the Senate meeting, she read her statement. It began, quote, I have said and will always say that discrimination against or harassment of any person or people group is never, ever okay. Her statement continued, As a Christian, I personally do believe that certain acts and lifestyles conflict with what is good, right, and true. I believe that God created male and female at the beginning of time and designed sex for marriage between one man and one woman. For me to love another person does not mean that I silently concur when at the bottom of my heart I do not believe that your choices are right or the best for you as an individual. She concluded by saying she affirms that each person in the room deserves respect, acknowledgement, legal protection, and love. She asked them to extend the same respect to her community, but was quickly met with backlash. After the meeting, Chow went home to study for midterms the next day. By the next morning, the news had exploded at the school. Heads turned when Chow walked across the campus. Her cell phone beeped with social media alerts. Disqualification notices piled into her email box. Online, people compared her to the KKK and called her a terrible example of Christian hypocrisy. Chow tried to ignore social media, but eventually the vibrations of her phone roiled her emotions so much that she had to leave her phone in a locker so she could concentrate on the midterms. The following week, November 7, Chow braced herself as she walked into the next Senate meeting. She had told her Christian community that she didn't want any counter-protest activities because it won't heal. Instead, a group of churches and campus fellowships gathered off campus and prayed for her while she attended the meeting they sent her a note saying you're going to sit there and be yelled at but at the same time know that we're praying for you we're praying for your team we're praying for the lgbtq community at the meeting a big group of protesters was ready for her someone hung a, a giant banner behind her seat senator chow resigned now hundreds of students squeezed into the room to voice their hurt and rage One by one, they stepped up to the microphone to address Chow. The onslaught of harsh, sometimes vulgar comments dragged on for three hours. Three students stepped up to publicly support Chow. When one mentioned that he voted for Chow because she was pro-life, the audience erupted into mocking laughter. Meanwhile, Chow sat through the entire ceremony with a grim expression. Provoking one student to exclaim, Senator Chow, are you even listening to us? Do you even care? None of them knew that Chow was internally fighting the urge to burst into tears. Her parents, also present at the meeting, struggled to watch their daughter being publicly attacked. Chow didn't want her parents to see her distress, so she waited until they left before sitting with a friend to cry. But the hardest part of that meeting, Chow said, was witnessing the wounded hearts and broken narratives that are behind all the anger and the hate. Some students cried as they shared their personal stories. Chow saw that each one of these people who are so angry has been hurt, and oftentimes hurt by the church. It made her realize how much they all, including her, needed Jesus for healing and grace. Still, Chow is human. At times, she wanted to wallow in self-pity and ask, God, why me? Why put me in this position? That's when she asks people to pray for her and declares her thanksgiving to God. God, I trust that you're good, that you're still sovereign in this. And that prayer helps her stand her ground despite the constant demands for her resignation from the UC Berkeley Student Senate. If no one represents the truth, then who will, she said. If I was elected to be a voice for such a time as this, the light doesn't stop shining when the darkness gets darker. The voice doesn't stop speaking when it's being shut down. This is not a time to back down. It's a time to continue shining the light of Christ in all love, all grace, all humility. I share this story because our text names a couple of men who were initially silent silent because they were afraid of the community. But when confronted with the cross, they stood in the light, they honored Jesus and likely dealt with very, very hard consequences. Our our text is John 19, verses 38 through 42. And before we go there, let's let's, uh, begin our time in prayer. The psalmist petitions, Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And so we pray, Lord God, shine. Shine in the darkness. Shine in our hearts so that we might give the light of the knowledge of your glory, which is Jesus and his good news. Give us courage to speak the truth and grace and humble hearts in doing so, in rightly representing Jesus, who is the epitome of these characteristics. Lord, give us faith like Isabella, a vision of the cross, like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. May we not be secret or private believers, but instead those who, who submit to the truth of your word. Those who are confident in your word, who, who aren't ashamed. Who don't twist it because we desire to please men more than you. May our love for Jesus cause us to truly love others. As we continually come back to their need for the cross. Their need like ours. To repent and trust in Jesus. And to walk in his ways. Lord, thank you for your word. Bless its reading, its preaching, its hearing, and our doing. For your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 19, 38-42. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, this is God's word you may be seated John uh, gives us two descriptions concerning these two men Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and the point in doing so is to is to contrast the courage they're exhibiting with their former secrecy and fear fear of man fear of losing their comforts and privileges fear of persecution we need to understand that our text is not a simple description of Jesus being taken down from the cross and buried in the tomb no typically the romans would they would leave the bodies of those crucified for sedition to the vultures instead of handing them over to the next of kin And the family members of those executed for sedition wouldn't usually even come forward identifying themselves with these criminals. So they wouldn't even ask for the bodies. And if it were a Jew being executed, they certainly wouldn't desecrate a family tomb by burying him there. Apparently Joseph used his rank as a member of the Sanhedrin to gain access to Pilate. And likely because Pilate resented this whole situation, really knowing that Jesus was innocent, he gave him permission. It was brave of Joseph concerning the Romans to be identified with someone so executed. But even more so, it was brave because The last thing the Jewish leaders would have wanted was for Jesus' body to be honored and cared for and buried in a private tomb. No, what they would have wanted, what they expected, is that he'd be thrown in a mass grave outside of the city. Joseph is no longer hiding. He's no longer hiding his allegiance and love for Jesus. This act is making this known to the Jews, and he likely paid a very great price. John is giving us a before and after. Joseph's actions show a public boldness that's willing to pay the price. And John points out that this man was formerly a secret disciple. Nicodemus is also mentioned, and John Reminds us that he's the one who came to Jesus by night. Pointing out that Nicodemus. Was also a secret disciple. He came at night. So no one would know. That he sought Jesus out. That he admired him in any way. John intends this description to. Symbolize sinners who. Work in the darkness. And don't want their deeds exposed. By the light. Thinking of the very words of Jesus, spoken to Nicodemus in chapter 3, we read, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I wonder if Nicodemus remembered these words. As he comes out into the light. The light of day. Letting it be known that he's a true disciple. No longer a secret disciple of Jesus. There's no turning back now. And he too would have been dealt with, he would have dealt with some very harsh persecution. The power of the cross. Already, John is giving us testimonies to the power of the cross. Examples of two men looking to the cross, responding in faith, finding cleansing through Jesus' atoning blood. Joseph and Nicodemus. They're, they're similar. They're both in leadership. They both respect and admire Jesus. They're both secret believers who feared the Jews. What do we know about Joseph? This is the only mention of him in John's gospel, but combined with other gospels, here's, here's what we know. He's from Arimathea, small Jewish town. He's rich, he's powerful, in that he was a respected member of the council or Sanhedrin. Luke describes him as a good and righteous man. Uh, Mark says that he was looking for the kingdom kingdom of God. In other words, he lived with an expectation of the Messiah. Matthew and John describe him as a disciple of Jesus, and yet John adds... This detail that Joseph believed only secretly for fear of the Jews. With all of these details, we conclude that at some point, at some point in Jesus' earthly ministry, Joseph believed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And yet, he continued to be a part of the Sanhedrin, this group that opposed Jesus. But another detail that Luke points out is Joseph had not consented to their decision and action. He didn't consent to their condemnation of Jesus and to put him to death. And whatever this lack of consent looked like, we're given the impression that it didn't really reveal him to them. That he was a a follower of Christ. Because he's said to be a secret disciple who feared the consequences. Similarly, Nicodemus in John chapter 7 didn't agree with the Jewish leaders. He didn't positively follow along, but apparently he also didn't take a stand. He continued to be a a member. So for us, it's one thing to, to not participate and another to take a stand and make it known that we're Christians. Isabella abstained in her, vote, in her vote, but she also communicated why. Do we graciously, do we humbly let people know where we stand? Joseph of Arimathea knew the cost. John is showing us how the cross changes everything, that this former coward is now acting in bold faith, knowing the personal cost. He knew. He knew. We've read about the fear of intimidation in John chapter 9. When Jesus healed, remember he heals the man who's born blind. And what do we read about his parents, this man's parents? It says that they feared the Jews. They feared the Jews because they knew the consequences of confessing Jesus meant being put out of the synagogue. And this is a big deal. Being put out of the synagogue meant you were, you're an outcast to your community, to society. Not only banning you from worship, but all of your social connections. All of your work and ability to live. We see the same thing in John 12, we, where we read, Many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved, I guess this is how John sums it up, this action or lack of action, they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And that's kind of the realization that we eventually come to. Do I care more about what man says or what God says? Yes, there's fear of consequences, but but intertwined with this is a love of earthly power and position and praise. They were afraid of losing the things that they loved. At the heart of this very hard decision, we hear Jesus say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are examples of what it means to deny yourself by following Jesus. No longer are they secret disciples. Jesus says that it's not an option. We can't serve two masters. And these unavoidable circumstances and decisions will reveal what's most important to us. If we rightly see the cross, if we truly know Jesus, then ultimately we will be willing to lose our jobs, or be put into jail, or publicly mocked or villainized. If it happens in Berkeley, yes, pretty radical. If it happens in Berkeley in 2018, it may not be very far from us. If it happens to pastors and Christians in Canada, it's not unreasonable to think that it could happen to us. I I hope not. I hope not. I like freedom. Uh, I enjoy its comforts and opportunities. I pray for change. I pray for protection. But if the Lord has something else in mind, are we willing to choose Christ and sing, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also? The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Will we sing that? Will we live that? I hope so. I pray that I'd be like Isabella. Like Pastor Arthur Pulowski, Like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Not controlled by the Praise or the threats of man, but the praise and glory of God instead how do they do it? You wonder that, but how do they do it? how can we how can we learn from them? you know it's easy for us to assume um, would we take a stand like Isabella? would we knowingly invite? Persecution like Joseph and Nicodemus. What are some reasons? What are some motives for being bold in our faith? First, it seems obvious that these men, they were radically changed by what they saw at the cross. They they, they knew of Jesus. They admired him. They were radically changed by, by what happened at the cross. Nicodemus saw something in Jesus. He knew that he was... You know, previously, I should say, he saw something in Jesus. Right? He he knew that and said to Jesus in John three that he was a great teacher. Rabbi, we know that you are a good teacher come from God. He recognized the, the miracles and the signs that God must that God must be with this teacher. But still, he came by night and then the cross. And all of his reservations were overcome by this, this love put on display. It forced Nicodemus out of the dark and into the light. The cross changes everything. It changes us. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Is it not a remarkable thing that all of the life of Christ did not draw out and open a vow from Joseph? Our Lord's miracles, his marvelous discourses, his poverty and self-renunciation, his glorious life of holiness and benevolence, all may have helped to build Joseph in his secret faith, but it did not suffice to develop him a bold avowal of faith. The shameful death of the cross had greater power over Joseph than all of the beauty of Christ's life. You know, if we're ever confronted with with real persecution, in order to truly stand for Jesus, we need a clear vision of the cross. Admiring his life, admiring his example, his miracles, his teachings, apart from the cross, won't be enough. We need to see the majesty of his atoning death for us. His love for us. For us, if we move on from the cross, and some Christians have this mindset, you know that's that's the part about getting saved, and now I just move on. No, if we move on from the cross, if we ignore the cross, that's the point of the Lord's table. We we always come back to the cross. If we move on from the cross, if we ignore the cross, we'll never stand. We'll never stand. we'll never be willing. To let it all go. What moved Joseph and Nicodemus? A second reason. Well it's it's Jesus' effectual call. Yes we, we need to stand. We need to do something. We need to act. But the only reason we will. Always begins with the grace of God. Our confidence in sharing the gospel, is a, it's a supernatural work of Christ. Let your confidence be there. Seeing is, is one thing. But as Jesus told Nicodemus in their first meeting, you must be born again. There is a kind of seeing that, that goes beyond the physical. We can't see or comprehend the kingdom of God unless we're first born from above apart from God's grace to effectually call us to himself, our sinful hearts will never believe, will will never obey him, never stand for him, even if we know the fact of Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus said in John chapter 12, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When that happens, I will draw all people to myself, Through the cross, Jesus received power to draw a people for himself. And the word draw is really, really interesting. The Greek word translated here as draw is translated elsewhere as dragged. It means to pull in or lead by force. It's not a please invite wooing passive kind of thing. We we see this transformation in Joseph and Nicodemus. We see it because Jesus called them. The cross gave Jesus the right and the power to pull them in. His call of salvation is not passive. It's loving. It's a gracious command. But much like, it's much like that, that other call we heard him say in John 11, Lazarus, come forth. Creates what he commands. It's effectual. By his grace, he has made us alive. And when when he does, the last thing that we'll want is to stay in the darkness of death. By his grace, because of his effectual call, we're alive. And now we want to come out into the light of Christ and follow him. It's grace. It's power. There's a power in the cross of Christ. And this reality should give us great confidence in sharing the gospel. Knowing that it's not, it's not our power. It's not getting it just right. Saying it just right. It's not, it's not our call. Yes, we speak. Jesus is the one who calls effectually. It's his call. He's the one who exerts power through the preaching, through the sharing of the cross. Why stand for Jesus? The reality of the cross, the effectual call of Christ. And a third motivation is there's a need. It seems that Joseph and Nicodemus gained some courage to care for Christ because In that moment, everyone else scattered. Who else would do it? And if there was someone, who better than them? They had access to Pilate. They apparently had a tomb, access to a tomb. Uh, Spices for the burial. Who better than them? But what about us? What about us as our world is going absolutely mad? Have you, I don't even have to ask, well, I'll ask, have you ever seen a time like this in your lifetime where you're just, I keep, Jen and I keep talking and saying, you know, we're not brilliant people, but this seems pretty obvious. (laughs) And that it seems really obvious, and it's not us, there is a spiritual blindness. Because people are going mad. Absolutely nuts. So, what about us as our world is going mad? Do we believe the gospel is the remedy? Isn't there power in the cross? As we look around us, do we see a need for the truth? A need for change? Our culture. You know, our culture used to see Christianity as a positive thing. As a benefit to society. No more. I'm not even looking at Christianity indifferently. More and more we see a decay of morals and a hatred, an actual actual hatred toward Christianity. More and more we even see... People in churches denying biblical truths. Not doing the loving and hard thing like Isabella, who said, If no one rep- represents the truth, then who will? This is not a time to back down. It's a time to continue shining the light of Christ in all love. I appreciate that part of her. Not being belligerent or arrogant or mean. In all love, all grace. All humility. The need for change is greater in our lifetime than ever. So do we believe in the power of the cross or not? Is God able to use us? You know, Recently I heard someone describe that people will say they struggle to share the gospel because they're afraid of not using the right words or knowing the Bible verses and... And then this person saying, "But in reality, it's not that at all. It's that they don't want to be rejected. That's really the reason. We don't want them to be thought of a certain way. It's time not to care about that. Truly, you don't have to have all. You don't have to have. I mean, we want to be accurate. Yeah. I, I keep. I've recommended in the past." podcast Wretched Radio on Wednesdays, Witness Wednesday. You get all sorts of, you just get it into your head of how this man approaches um, college students on campus and just asks really good questions and leads them to the truth of the gospel and doesn't get all the verses right, but just, and it's different each time. You learn a lot from that. It's kind of the way of the master, um, Idea of evangelizing. So it's really, it's not, don't worry about getting it all right. Um, We need to not care how people will respond. The need is too great. Our society has lost its mind and it's quickly plummeting into destruction, even within the church. Yes, there's always, you know, there's always, there have always been heretics. There's always been liberal thinking within the church. But how many more people do you know personally that think of themselves as Christians and yet deny absolute truth, bought into postmodern relativism? Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. How many people who've named the name of Christ speak that way, that you know, that, that deny the inerrancy of Scripture? That deny that God, God's designed for marriage between one man and one woman. That, that all of life from the moment of conception is precious to be valued and protected. So many compromises within the church. I bet that the pressure for you, for me, to go along to, or just to keep quiet about it, to not care... It's a lot stronger than it was a couple of years ago. The need is great. It's forcing us to make a choice to speak the truth with grace and humility and love. Many of you are living this. Your families, you're dealing with it with your kids. And you are great examples of this is God's truth. This is what we believe you're our son you're our daughter you'll always be our son and we love you we can't be secret church members we need to come we need to sing we need to pray we need to be a part of the body of Christ we need to encourage one another in sharing the good news and you know one great encouragement it's in your giving And how this truly makes a difference. A difference in the spread of of this good news. Of this gospel to even the rural places of Africa. We have a message from our our church member, our missionary, our brother, Pastor Sam in Malawi. A video. Um, It's windy. So do your best. Pay close attention. Do your best to listen through the the sound of the wind, or as Pastor Dale said um, to me, to, to listen instead to the move of
1: the Holy Spirit over the years. Let's watch. Those who've been to Africa know that there is such a thing called African time, where they look at the, at the sun. So if the sun is somewhere here, they know that uh, that must be the time for us to meet. And so we thought it was African time that they were using yet the students were reluctant to come because they have been stood up for quite a number of times. You see, most ministries, they don't want to come to the rural areas and they don't want to go to people who will not give them something in return. But we want to thank God for you, Becquit Church, that uh, this is not the case with you. Hi, this is Pastor Sam, and I'm talking to you from Sakata, here in Zomba about an hour's drive from our house in Blantyre. Speaking to the students yesterday, they told us that uh, none of them had any theological training. The only people who had theological training of some sort are our host pastor who invited us and our brother Kenneth um, whom we brought with. And I want to thank God that uh, Kenneth has been our student at Mulunguzi and he has also been our student at Jali. And he also was doubling up as our translator. And in so doing, Kenneth is, is now teaching. We invited him to be part of the team that teaches the, uh, the people here. And he does it with much joy. And we have listened to his message. We, we've, we've heard him speak. And we, we are seeing that there's been so much growth in him. In fact, we knew Kenneth from way back from uh, 2014 when we went to uh, Jali uh, Baptist Church where he was then uh, a deacon in the church. But we thank God that him and his wife, they are now very much involved in the ministry. So we want to thank God for you, Barcourt Church, for all the work that you are doing here in Southern Africa. May the lord richly bless you and we appreciate and thank you for all the support and the prayers that you are doing here and just uh, maybe as something to to add on to this this morning is the second day of uh, our training here and on this second day we uh, we, we we have uh, about six new students uh, who came today and among them is one uh, young lady uh, she is a muslim lady who said that uh, she heard about this yesterday and was invited by somebody to come. So we can see how the Lord is uh, uh, impacting people and is uh, bringing people to the fold. We pray for this young lady that uh, um, the Lord will touch her heart and bring her to the serving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray for your joy in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much for, be, for being there for us. Thank you so much for supporting the work, the ministry here in Malawi. And uh, the Lord richly bless you.